0: In the darkest worlds that ever were, the only thing that brings light are stories. Those stories are kept in one place the tiny bookcase. Hello, explorers of the Sacred Library. Hello. I'm Ben. And I'm Nico. And you are listening to The Tiny Bookcase. We are very excited to bring you another episode this time with a spot of genre fiction. Very much so. We're joined today by someone described by The Scrolls as a game writer, short filmmaker, and novelist. They're quoted as saying, There's nothing I enjoy more than this job. Sorry. We would like to welcome... Anna Moscat. Hello, Anna.
1: <laughs> Hi, guys. Thank you so much for inviting me.
2: That's quite all right. Excited to have you. How's uh, how's your lockdown been during this uh, rather unfortunate pandemic?
1: So um, I live in South Carolina. I know I don't sound like that, but uh, that's where I. been living for uh, over four years now and there are two good things about South Carolina first is the weather because it's always nice and warm and now we have um, uh, like uh, 15 degrees Celsius right now and sunshine so it's really nice and um, the second is um, that we basically only had lockdown for maybe uh, six weeks and since then life is basically normal here so this normal is...
2: life crikey
1: yes yes it's really it's yeah <laughs> i know it, you you guys can't imagine that because you have such severe lockdowns in in england uh but yeah so all you have to do is wear your mask and you can go to restaurants and shopping and whatever and
2: that sounds like bliss we've uh yeah we've actually reached the point where we've lost all social skills so uh <laughs> i'm gonna have to apologize that you have to talk to us for the next bit <laughs> What
0: does the outside look like, Anna? <laughs> yeah, what is the outside?
1: <laughs> yeah, so my outside is just great, you know, blue sky, sunshine. Um, I can sit on my patio and have some iced coffee. So, yeah, that's, um, that sounds, that's li- that living cool. in the South. I, I, <laughs> I really enjoy that.
0: Right, this isn't fair at all, not having <laughs> I this.
1: I know, I'm cruel. I am I, cruel.
2: Was it the weather that caused you to move to South Carolina or was it for work?
1: um oh it was it was basically a coincidence i wanted to move over over to the states for a while and then um, because of circumstances i ended up here and i uh, really um, liked it so that's why i'm still here eventually i might move to to another state but for now i'm i'm really i'm really excited um about living in south carolina so for me it was very important because I, i write in english i publish in english and um so I really needed to move to an English-speaking country um, to improve.
0: That sounds as good a reason as any for moving to a place. Sounds <laughs> awesome. Speaking of moving, should we move on into the story segment? Let's do that. Well, this week, the unfortunate task of going first falls on Ben. Yay! And we will be working to the prompt, the final second. The final second.
2: Jai's head hung low, bloody drool stretched in long ropes from his ruined face and pooled in his splayed chest cavity. What they'd taken out was on a series of surgical tables, some of it still twitched. His blood sat in wet pools by his feet on the plastic sheeting they'd protected Nioevo's real wood floors with. The pain was driving him in and out of consciousness, which meant his enhanced adrenal system was being overloaded. He looked groggily at the tubes that shunted into his arms. They were keeping him alive, but useless. Jai assumed he'd come through worse situations, but he couldn't bring any of them to mind at that moment. His hand wouldn't stop twitching. It was that which had woken him again. The flesh on it had been flensed and peeled back carefully before being totally removed by the American. The man had clearly been Mil Specops. Jai could almost guess the serial codes of his vat grown musculature, it was no wonder he'd taken such obvious enjoyment from disassembling Jai. What was left of the old guard still remembered a time before their dependence on the cultivation culture controlled by Jay's company, or others like it. Every ma and pa in the farm belt now had to be subscribed to the yearly subscription service, or lose their fields to the barren promises of their dead-end natural seed stock. Jai could see he was bound to the chair by steel restraints. Normally, he would have been able to flex and watch the steel contort and warp until it snapped under his force. But the American had cut the tendons in his wrists, elbows, and shoulders. The sleek and enhanced muscle implants that Jai had seen as a part of his identity now bunched uselessly under his skin. Though he couldn't see it, he knew the same had been done to his legs. He thought to himself that the surgery must have occurred whilst he was out. He took a moment to appreciate the luck, which had meant that they'd left him his eyes. Their dossier on him had clearly had a timestamp on it. Everything they knew about was company issue. There was no sign of the American in the room now, only her. She stood in silhouette by the broad floor-to-ceiling window. The vista of Rome spread before her in the smooth golden light of the dying sun. Her clothes were loose and white, refined but practical. She didn't look like much, but then again, no one looks like what they are anymore. Jai had known her by reputation only when he had woken that day. Since they'd grabbed him, however... He had become intimately acquainted with Nievo's methods. She had certainly known a lot about him, right down to his bioimplants, enhancements, and the geotrackers the company had put in him for just such an occasion as this. Everything he needed to get his job done had been taken from him by her. Well, almost everything. He still had his eyes, and that meant he could see, and if he could see, he could win. He heard her sigh as the sun set and Jai focused on his breathing in an effort to control his conscious state. The quality of light in the room changed as the neons of the city blazed, sending pulsing waves of magenta and ultramarine through the stylish apartment. He focused on the world beyond her, and saw that the new state-funded bio-rises were taking shape by the banks of the Tiber. Workers' lights traced their arching lattice frames, which played host to the biomatter which mindlessly crept along it. Eventually, the thing would grow to form the modern equivalent of the old US Sino-style metal arcologies of the 23rd century. Nievo cocked her head, as if shot in the temple by a thought. It was a neat trick you corporate people pulled, filtering into the space left on Vatican Hill after the church collapsed. Sovereignty guaranteed. Blaine got to you, though, did he not? Where you thought extradition was impossible. I found that this world is full of reminders that anything can happen to anyone. Jai ineffectively spat some of the bloody drool from his mouth so he could speak. Is Blaine the yank fella with the nice manners? He forced the words through the pain in his broken mouth. Each of his pristine teeth had been cracked and split open to hunt for bio trackers and toxin capsules. Nievo ignored the question and instead raised a hand. At the gesture, the windows became opaque and live POV cam footage of her team storming a building popped up across the broad window. Jai immediately recognised the place as the location he had given up under torture a few hours earlier. The company's security forces were being dismantled by the near-impossible levels of clinical savagery of Blaine's team. Their augments, strategies, and training made the massacre difficult to follow. Jai watched as Nievo followed every spray of blood and burst of gunfire in rapt silence. Then Blaine's bassy growl came through clear on the comms. Base level secure. Proceeding up. Nievo brought up a satellite weather image which had zoomed in on the northern regions of Turkey and the Black Sea. Pinned on the map was the abandoned space elevator station, moored 60 miles out in the water. Jai had overseen the purchase of the place, and everything that had followed. If only, he thought to himself, he had stayed there instead of returning to the Vatican Hill to watch the fallout. Blaine and his team rampaged through the facility. Their reckless speed told Jai they were short on time. Jai himself had lost track of it. He watched as one of them held out a hand to activate one of the construction elevators. He knew then that that was the reason they had taken the skin from him, and could see it had been grafted onto that soldier's hand. Jai watched as they were shot upwards at high speed along the old steel construction of the space elevator station. Within seconds, their live cams were watching the world from a high vantage point, and all around them swelled the storm he had been banking on. Some of their POVs looked around in the high winds of the clouds before snapping onto their targets as the last of the security force defended what Jai had placed up on the highest point of the structure. Jai knew he was already doing everything he could, but felt compelled to get more. Who was it that gave me up? Inside the company, I mean. Your deputy chief of ops in Europe. Kinney, I believe their name was, said Nievo distractedly. But why would that matter now? Did you really think I would let you poison the world for a second time? Blaine's voice crackled live again. Bomb secured. Time left on the clock to disarm it. Work quickly, Blaine. The device is timed to go off when the weather system will pick it up and carry the payload across the mainland. Nievo touched an unseen button in her jaw to mute her voice feed to the team. There, you see. Anything can happen to anyone, even someone like you, Jai. I do see, he replied, watching her. Dominating the wall of feeds behind her was Blaine's view of the old-fashioned timer Jai had opted for. It was ticking down in crimson digits, with a few cuts from the man's clippers, his hands working as deftly as they had during Jai's field surgery and torture. The device's countdown came to a stop. The display read 0001, the final second of the world as it was. Jai heard celebratory cries from the feeds, and Nievo clenched her fist in triumph. "'I see it all,' Jai continued, "'and I've been watching the whole time.'" Jai smiled at Nievo as she turned on him, alarm ringing out across her stern features. She ran to him, scooping up a scalpel from the surgical trays as she swept past. Jai saw her touch her jaw again, and then heard her shout to her team. "Blaine, we missed something!' You need to ensure there are no backups for remote detonation. Oh, fuck, came the crackling reply from the old soldier. Nievo slammed the scalpel into Jai's left eye and worked it back and forth, seeking what she hoped wasn't there. Jai's vision bifurcated on that side and then vanished, causing him to half scream, half laugh at the suddenness of the pain. Oops! <laughs> Wrong one! Get to play again? He could hear the hysteria in his own voice. He watched it coming for a second time and felt the false retina in his right eye crumple under the scalpel. He heard the sound of metal scraping on metal inside his own skull, before his vision cut out entirely. No! Who the fuck still has a cyber eye? Blindly, Jai grinned up at where he thought she was. Me. He heard the reinforced door of her apartment give under a massive blow and the clack of a silenced weapon burst firing, then felt her hit the ground by his feet. He couldn't see it, but he could imagine the white of her clothes soaking up his blood like a sponge. Jai felt a flurry of activity around him as his personal security team checked him over. Someone threw up, and he knew it wasn't him. His stomach was on the table to his left. Sir, are you okay, sir? They worried at the steel bonds that held him in the chair. From the feeds on the wall, Jai could hear the failure of Nievo's team and the explosion that cut those feeds dead. I'll be just fine, Jai said. Smiling blindly. You got here just in time.
0: I mean, first of all,
1: how dare you
0: put a bit in a story where they replaced a man's hand skin to get through a door? That's gross, man. (laughs) Of all the body horror in that story, that's the thing that grossed me out the most. Really? Not 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 the stomach on
1: the table. I think the stomach on the table was really charming.
0: I'm Gucci with a stomach on the table. I can't handle Wearing another man's hand as a glove.
1: Really? Why? That's, that's actually that's not so bad. I don't know. It just feels
0: <laughs> very personal. I think that, <laughs> maybe that's the issue.
1: <laughs> what about the eyes? I mean, I mean, I'm sticking a scalpel into someone's eye—that's that's pretty rude.
2: It's pretty rude. My uh, <laughs> my my partner my partner absolutely hates uh, like eye eye gore and body horror of the eye yes uh, a lot of people do Mm -hmm. a lot of people do yeah Um, which I think is why it gets used quite a lot in movies but
0: um... there's a uh, film called Unshan Andalou which Uh, is uh, it's got a lot of eye horror in it
1: I think eyes are uh, really really bad yeah
0: I I remember everyone being very creeped out by that one when we were Mm. showing it at university I, however I thought it was fine if they, if someone was wearing another man's hand, I would have been not all right. That's all I'm saying.
2: Fits like a glove. <laughs> uh. <laughs>
1: well, uh, awesome. I mean, uh, I really enjoyed the story. I think it was great. I mean, obviously, I love everything cyberpunk, and it was a very nice cyberpunk story. Um, I personally also like gory stuff, so that doesn't really bother me at all um i think it was great i had a lot of fun listening to it
0: oh thank you it was a really good implication of it being like deep deep into a cyberpunk future as well when uh, when she said oh, who the fuck still has a cyber eye you yeah. know immediately gave without you telling us anything that we've got to the cyberpunk future and this is the future after that future and that was really cool it gave this immense depth to the tech that was. was
2: well, sweet. yeah. The, the thanks, thanks for picking up on that. The the intention was to write something that was quite um, post cyberpunk slash biopunk. Yeah. was where I was going with that. Um, and um, I've I've lifted a few things from uh, Paolo Bacigalupi. Um, in that story, I don't like uh, the uh, the high rises that that grow. Mm. Um, that kind of thing. I, I think I first read read about those in um, a short story in in his. Uh, Anthology Pump Six. Um, so so what,
1: what I what I didn't quite get is what exactly was was the bomb for? What ah, uh, What was so, that?
2: So the um, the, it was sort of hinted at in, in one of the earlier paragraphs that um, they'd that companies had damaged the natural seed stock of of America to the point where they had to subscribe to uh, mm-hmm. like genet- genetically. Um, engineered seed stock Um, so the idea was that um, the bomb would uh, spread out you know the same kind of like uh, bio plague across Europe by being driven from north the north of Turkey by uh, a weather weather system into the rest of Europe which is why it was so high up on this uh, abandoned um, uh, space elevator station uh, in the
0: Black Sea I thought for a second there you were going to say it was going to be full of seeds, like one of those, you know, the bee bombs that are meant oh, to yeah, grow yeah. wildflowers. So uh, I, was, I was a little bit saddened when it wasn't, yeah, and he's giving crops back to the people. It was like, nah, no, no he's, he's the bad guy. He's definitely, <laughs> he definitely... the bad guy.
1: Um, that's something i really liked about the story yes i mean you you instantly of course sympathize with the poor guy who's being tortured and his his stomach is on the table and is still twitching and so on so you really are with him right and then it turns out oh he is the bad guy okay hey maybe you should cut out his kidneys too and your and his uh (laughs) i don't know what else um Right? I mean, I, I think that was, that was pretty surprising and uh, I really liked that. I, I think it was very cool. Hmm. Thank
2: you. Well, I'm, uh, uh, that's, that's my story for this, uh, for this episode and I'm very excited to hand it over to you if you're ready.
1: Yes. Uh, one second. And the final second. Kevin fell. At the beginning, he had been screaming pushing all his despair through his lungs into the world. But then he got overwhelmed by the unspeakable horror that grabbed his heart like a merciless claw. He would die. It was a certainty, and with every second that passed, his panic and terror rose. It took a while to fall from a building that was over a mile high, long enough to fully grasp what was happening and what was about to happen. The concrete ground was coming closer, faster and faster. Kevin watched it, frozen in fear. The wind rattled at his hair and clothes, feeling cold even though it was a hot summer day. But did it really matter? Did anything matter now? He would die. It was said that one could see his whole life rushing by when falling into a certain death. But Kevin experienced nothing like that. All he felt was paralyzing fear. Maybe because there wasn't anything significant in his life worth remembering. He realized that he led a completely insignificant life. He achieved nothing. Nothing out of the ordinary had ever happened to him. He was a model citizen of Olympia's. A tiny, insignificant cog in a gigantic, shiny machine. Kevin's life had been completely pointless. He worked. He slept. He consumed whatever the media and shiny billboards had told him he needed to achieve happiness. And he could afford. Now, his death would be as pointless as his life had been. He was an AC service technician. Spending time on roofs of high-rises was nothing spectacular for him. Usually, he used a harness and safety lines when working. But today, today he had been an idiot, and that would cost him his life. It's simple routine, he had told himself. It will take less time to quickly fix the issue than putting on all standard safety measures. He had been right. It was a quick and easy job, done in less than a minute. But then he stumbled in such an unfortunate way that he fell over the ledge. Now he would die. Kevin knew it was his final second. He closed his eyes. Suddenly something grabbed his arm and yanked him up with such force that it dropped him of his breath. He opened his eyes and realized in utter surprise that he wasn't dead. And he wasn't falling anymore. Hi. He heard a female voice and his jaw dropped. How's it going? Slowly, Kevin's brain began working again and he fully grasped what just had happened. A black-dressed woman hung below a high-tech drone like none he had ever seen before. It vaguely resembled a mixture of a dragonfly and an eagle and was powerful enough to lift her up and him. Since he was hanging below her. In the very last second, she had grabbed his upper arm and pulled him up, saving him from becoming pulp on the pavement heated up by the early afternoon sun. I, uh, um, he tried to say something, but no proper word left his mouth. She pulled him up with her arm with unhuman strength, making it seem that he was light as straw. It was only now that he saw her eyes. They gleamed in the sun an unnatural neon blue. Slowly, his brain woke from its stupor and started working again. He had heard of them. Everyone had, of course. They were famous and infamous. Like so many others in Olympias, Kevin didn't really believe they existed. He thought they were an urban legend created to scare people and keep them in line the guardian angels. Either he was dying and his brain was fantasizing in its final moment or this was a guardian angel. They were real. The legendary elite cyborg squads were real and one of them had just saved him from certain death. He couldn't help himself and began laughing as endorphins overwhelmed his body. She tilted her head her straight black hair flying behind her. So funny. It was only then that he finally found his speech again. You saved me, he cried out, not even realizing that they were flying up to the highest roofs again. You're welcome, she answered casually. You're an angel. I am. And I saved you for a reason. I need your help. Olympias needs your service. Of course, anything. A smile flashed over her beautiful face. He was so euphoric and overwhelmed that he didn't notice that it was ice cold like freshly fallen snow. Good, she said while turning him around so that he faced her. Their bodies now so close that they almost hugged each other. Kevin looked into her unearthly face and couldn't imagine that she was more machine than human and feared in his society, like the boogeyman or the monster in the closet come to life. For him, she truly was an angel, his savior. He would do anything she asked of him. The young man was so mesmerized that he hardly noticed that he suddenly stood on his feet again as they landed on a roof. He stared into her artificial eyes and felt like the luckiest man alive. Then an impact hit him. And another, and another. He felt a horrible pain as blood rushed out of his mouth and several wounds in his chest. This time, Kevin died quickly. The last thing he saw was how the angel squinted her eyes and her face took an expression of ice-cold determination. Then everything turned dark. More bullets riddled the lifeless body of the unfortunate technician. The cyborg with the neon blue eyes had saved him to use him as a human shield in a battle he had known nothing about. How could he? After all, he was nothing but an insignificant cock in a machine. When titans clashed into each other, who cared if they crushed an ant?
2: Wow. I I have a fairly serious fear of heights, so the start of that story really got me going.
1: (laughs) Me too. Uh, I hate heights. Oh, really?
0: Yeah. When titans crash into each other, who cares if they crush an ant? Mm -hmm. Maybe one of my favorite things anyone's ever said out loud while I could hear it. I have also (laughs) written down the words legendary elite cyborg squad. 'Cause that is cool as hell. <laughs> just, <laughs> like as soon as you started saying leg, I was smiling from ear to ear until we hit the end of squad. I was like, yeah, Why? That's what I want. it's just what? it's just a really cool combination of words. It's all the things that I like in a <laughs> in a setting really yeah definitely you just pressing all of nick's buttons
2: all at once it was great
0: oh if at any point a 200 foot monster had rocked up i would have just had to leave the recording so yeah the
2: the addition of a kaiju is the only way (laughs)
1: uh no there are no no real monsters in 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 this world um they're all um well humans or artificially enhanced humans so this this story is, is a very short a glimpse into the world of my Behind Blue Eyes series, and this uh, legendary cyborg squad. Actually, the exact words are being used in the novels as well. And I also have two short stories out. Um, one is free for for the subscribers of my short uh, of, of my. A newsletter, and the other one just has been published in an anthology so i I write a lot of stuff in in this universe and Exciting. here i just here I just wanted to write a very short glimpse into into the world of a completely um insignificant person an and who's being crushed uh by titans because that's what they are they they are really like titans uh,
2: you definitely um uh, I I thought that uh, as soon as as soon as he, since she caught him, I thought he was going to be okay because it's it's told from his perspective and he has this you know this very like ant like perspective that you, that you wrote very well and it, it does rem- it reminded me quite a lot of how um, the general populace are in uh, do androids dream of electric sheep the way that they kind of just you know they they look at billboards to tell them how to feel and stuff um so you 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 got that across so well that I was already looking for what he wasn't looking for um and then so uh and then and then it was a bit of a surprise when um you know when when she wasn't letting go and uh it it was sort of continuing um but I thought you were he was going to drop he was going to be dropped somewhere more useful (laughs) you know like on, on on a car to stop it or something like that but it was you definitely got across how like um, unfeeling and uh,
0: tactical this uh, elite cyborg squad can be. Which, I think uh... that's what what really worked for me there was that. So I thought it was going to be some kind of uh, like espionage thing where she'd then be like, well, now you can let me in through the roof. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's
1: <laughs> that's where this is
0: going. No, but then she me. was, <laughs> this character being so calm about, yeah, this guy looks like he could take half a dozen bullets. That should get me where I need to be. Uh, just very cool, very cold. The, the hand glove doesn't seem like a, a problem anymore. <laughs> Not when you've got a people. People being meat shielded all over the place. <laughs>
1: Well, that's what that's what the what, what the books are about. I mean, that's uh, that's you have seen nothing of her. I mean, that's um, yeah, <laughs> that's how they are. They are they are the good guys. They call themselves the good guys. But
2: uh, but their uh, collateral damage is quite high.
1: Oh, the the body count in the first book is a couple of hundred. So yes, crikey. Well.
2: <laughs> That they, sounds they call fun.
0: Themselves the good guys is crazy loaded, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh
2: <laughs> uh, Exciting. Well, I, we'll uh, we'll ask you some more questions about your your series. I think at the end, but I think uh, it's time for Nick to give us our final entry
0: for this uh, this prompt. There awesome. are no androids. I'm so sorry.
2: No androids. <laughs> no.
0: And first. I thought it was some kind of shitty magic trick. You know, like pulling a coin out of someone's ear. My head was propped up by a pillow that had, at some point in the proceedings, been smushed into an unrecognisable shape. I was settling into that awful chill that seems to wrap around me any time I have an orgasm, and I wanted to pull the blanket over myself. But every time I do that, she'll always complain. Come on, enjoy it. She saw some kind of magic in the slow softening of nipples and the prickling of sweat-dappled flesh. I think maybe it was because it never bothered her. Right now she was leant against the window, the slimmest crack of moonlight painting a luminous strip over her form as she expertly manoeuvred her smoky exhalation through the gap in the curtains and the panel beyond. That slim midnight beam cast her beauty in an intoxicating light. And I knew I was in love with her. Some phase, huh? If I was talking to my parents, I would have loved to rub it in their faces. As it was, I didn't need family like that. I'd made my own. I'd never met anyone like Alyssa before. She knew all these things about art and music and... All these amazing places that I'd only ever seen in films. She had these eyes. They were so deep. They looked like... Like gold flakes, buried in a turbulent sea. I always think of her looking like that. So serene and perfect. I know she wasn't. Nobody is, are they? She'd tell me off when I told her that she was. She kissed me with those lips of hers, so soft it felt like they were melting through you and say, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not perfect, baby. I just practiced a whole bunch. She always had this wicked grin when she said that, and it would make me giggle. I felt that phrase on her lips then, as I lay shivering in bed, in love and admiring her. She turned to look at me then, those eyes like diamonds in the dark of our room. They shone so... dangerously. Like a predator at the bottom of a cave. And I shivered in a different way. As she spoke, they seemed to relax again. Think of a time. Not like 335. Like, um, I don't know. World War II. Why? I don't know why I asked instead of playing along, but it felt so... loaded. Just trust me, okay? Tell me what time you're thinking of. She looked at me then, like she was looking at my heart, or my soul instead of my face, and I scrambled around my brain like a rat in a dustbin. Bloody, I don't know, Victorian times. She nodded. And snatching up her phone walked to the bathroom door before glancing back at me over her shoulder. Close your eyes. Count down from five. I did as she asked. At five I heard the bathroom door swing open. Then four and three and two and it closed again with a click. And then one. I opened my eyes and there she was, still naked, holding her phone screen down. She fixed me with another of those weight-of-the-world looks and flipped her phone so the screen faced me. It was a photo of her, naked as she was now, but not in our bathroom. Some kind of filter. I looked at what was clearly dappled sunlight on her body. And at the woman in an enormous hoop skirt, recoiling horrified from this nude and dark-skinned woman before her. What is this? She must have planned this, right? I've seen Darren Brown on telly. Uh, She must have suggested Victorian stuff to me all night, and then she'd set this up. Got someone involved, in a costume, and taken a photo. Outdoors. A pang of unbidden jealousy stole through me. Nudity felt like it should be ours. Who is she? I don't know. She was just there. Lucky girl. She winked at me. Not my type, though. She plunked herself on the edge of the bed, but kept the photo in my field of view. But that's what you wanted, right? Victorians. I nodded. Dumbstruck. I didn't know where this was going, if I was honest with myself. Uh, what do you want about, Al? Did you Inception me? I wiggled my fingers and she stood up. Okay, another test. Pick a piece of clothing, anything. I chuckled and grabbed at the silk scarf that had so recently bound my wrist. If this was a game, I might as well play it like one. Alright. Tied to me. Anywhere. And, and pick a time. I paused. She looked so serious. As I moved close and began to tie the scarf around her arm, under the armpit, over the shoulder, she leant back to kiss me. It will all make sense, sugar, I promise. I felt silly now, like I wasn't getting it right. I've never been that good at school or with anything complicated, honestly. it's why I love her so much. She's simple and difficult all at once. Gwen, baby, pick somewhere. Somewhere crazy. I sighed. I always melted when she said my name. Alright, dinosaurs time. Ra! I did little T-Rex hands and she laughed. It was rich and smooth like good chocolate. Standing she walked to the bathroom door again and locked eyes with me. Five. Her voice carried as she opened the door, and beyond was blinding white light. I felt myself counting along, and at two she stepped back in, sweating and shaking. Green was pointing straight at me that time. In the photo she was running. Chased by a, a... dinosaur. A fucking dinosaur. With a scarf around her shoulder. What is this, Al? I can't remember all the words that she used. But it was... Time travel. I suppose. A technique, apparently. or oh, That's what she called it. Of willing time to bend so you could open a door here and a new one would open somewhere else too. Some way of, oh, how did she put it? Displacing yourself while replacing yourself. She showed me then. We dressed and we went through the door. She never shut it behind us. That's how you close the way back forever and time goes on, you see. It's hard now to keep track of how long we've been doing it for. She was older than me to start with. I remember we were in Paris. It was around 3200. Watching the fireworks as they re-erected the Statue of Liberty where the Eiffel Tower had once been. Al showed me her notes she'd taken about the terrible war that raged before that. We never travelled to war times, though. Only beautiful places. And every time we would second ourselves back to that tiny flat in Cardiff and laugh and tell stories. I never got clever, but I got older. She explained... Eventually, one day. We were looking through the window in the flat, and it was always that same night. We'd always just finish making love. And it always would be. We never stopped doing that, by the way. There's something about knowing you were the first humans to have sex on the planet that is thrilling, especially when it's a type so many backwards idiots would consider deviant. But as I say, we go back to our night, in our flat. And though it stays the same, we begin to fray at the edges. I don't love her any less as her back curves. And her big dark hair begins to turn white. She doesn't mind when my freckles disappear into the folds of my face. Because we're in love. She reminds me often. Sugar. Love is more powerful than time. I knew she was going to die before she did. I could feel it in the way that her hand held mine. The softness in her fingers was weakness now, not delicacy. So I asked her one last favour. One last place I wanted to go. We opened the door and stepped through into the last moment in our universe. The final second of all time. It was so terrifying and beautiful all at once. A billion, billion stars drawn inexorably in, pulled by the great expanse of space and time, and concepts like Earth and God and time were meaningless, and all that existed was the endless, crushing power of space, every dead star, every dead world. And our love. And as we held hands on the edge of oblivion, that was the most powerful thing of all. I held her hand until I felt it go limp. I held it until she was cold. I looked out at the great empty nothingness and I felt it mirrored within me. And then. When I was sure there wasn't anything left. I closed the door.
2: I really, really liked that. That uh, that really blew my socks off. Really interesting take on the time-traveling sci-fi conceit.
1: That was very poetic. I mean, that's, um, I, yeah, I, I can clearly tell that you usually write song texts, and which is basically poesy. Poetry, so um, yes, very, very beautiful.
2: Thank you. The line "Love is more powerful than time" was uh, was very nice. I think, situated as it was inside the story, which was really powerful, it it worked, um, worked really nice. Um, I,
0: uh, that really came from the idea of having someone who could step, you know, back and forth through time at will. Choosing to stop somewhere for a while because they fell in love. Mm. I thought, what you know, how would that person feel about time? And that's the only way I could describe it, really.
2: So, was there an element of uh, Doctor Who to that? Um, because I know that uh, the the woman was from Cardiff. I think it was mentioned. and, yes. that, and that's sort of like the uh, that that has Doctor Who links, doesn't it? Because that's where they do a lot of the filming for us and that kind of thing. And the the idea of, was that subconscious.
0: Might have been subconscious, yeah.
2: Frankie, yeah, <laughs> I just picked Cardiff out of the air. I think often has companions, and sometimes there's a love interest, and they take. Yeah, them, yeah. but um, this was made far more sort of impactful because of uh, that they were both human, that that they were both aging, that they were both getting towards death. Yeah, um, and that was. I also got a sense of loss that they hadn't lived normal lives as well. Like they, they'd spent the entirety of it as sightseeing, basically yeah together which it's not bad but <laughs> you, you know you you can't achieve anything in that scenario that's you know like for example you, you're someone that's uh written and published books anna that wouldn't really be possible if you're constantly switching between time zones and you've got no time to sort of work on yourself and work on your art yeah um uh, yeah but as Anna said like very poetic like the uh I think you said gold flakes in a turbulent, turbulent sea when you were describing <laughs> your eyes the first time. Yeah, um, yeah, I
1: think I think it was very, uh, very beautifully described. Um, how how you described um, his feelings and how he sees her and everything that was um, very beautiful, very poetic, and very romantic. You uh, obviously romantic.
0: I don't know if it came across, but the main character was female.
1: Oh, the main character uh, was female, really.
0: Her name was only mentioned once, but it was Gwen. Yeah, I, I think that I think that
2: came through. Um, although I would say it wasn't wasn't a gendered story, really. Like no, that not could have been could have been anything, really, couldn't it? Um...
1: So I I'd rather see a, maybe that's something. Maybe that's something you should have mentioned in the beginning because if you um are i mean if you're a guy and you're uh, having a story in the first person then you automatically will um will see the narrator as a man so um
2: it's an interesting prob- point isn't it yeah we, uh, nicks actually yeah, you, re- re- we've had yeah. a couple of stories from the point of views of, of of women and it's always a bit of um a bit sort of like a creative decision as to whether or not to read it in a voice that's not your own uh, i know nick yeah. in, in the first season um read read out a story that he'd written that was that was excellent that was written in a, an american um woman's voice and he, he he performed the whole thing as that um and it had a it, it, it definitely struck differently than it would have done had he read it out in his own voice um but yeah it's a it's a, it, not
1: it's it, not the voice because for 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 most men can can't really um make um good um female voices and vice versa <laughs> so um i'm, I'm uh, currently uh, my um Blue Eyes is being turned into an audiobook so I, I get the chapters every day and listen to them and the guy who who's doing it my narrator he's absolutely brilliant and um he really does the female voices very well but that's that's a big talent not not many not many can do that so mm, um, i think it's also it's, it's also different things it's like um i mean of course it, you know if, if if i imagine i would just have read this read the story you wouldn't have read it to me and i would just listen to it uh, read it i would still have thought that and the main characters are male. oh
2: interesting what what uh, what gave you that gave you that impression? Do you think
1: uh, it's just the way the way he 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 thinks, the way he speaks, the way he uh, his whole mindset is, uh, uh, didn't strike me as female. Mm. But um, it it doesn't really matter for the story. I believe. I mean, it really it it doesn't matter if he's if he's a guy or if he's a girl. Um, um, the story is the same um it's just just something just something i think it's interesting and it's also a big challenge um for writers in general when you when you write uh from from the perspective um of uh, the other uh, sex then it's really it it can be very challenging i
2: think that's yeah i think it's a yeah challenge accepted yeah <laughs> <laughs>
1: but it's a it's a great story. it's a beautiful story. I loved it i was really i i was i was totally um clinging to it, you know every word it was very very well written i love it
2: i I very much agree um and in, in terms of your oh, in terms of your performance as well there's there's a bit where you mentioned that um she made you giggle um there's a there's a moment where you mentioned giggle and the way that you you performed the word giggle. I got I got really like oh that is <laughs> that's too cute it's too cute so it's well performed and well written
1: Yeah also very well performed really great
0: mm-hmm. mm. Well if you're doing any other audiobooks Ben and I are always available <laughs> for, uh, for work English sounding voices or indeed, well, anything Well it's
1: it's set, it's set it's set in the US so I'm not sure if you can if you can speak uh, like an American yeah. That's that's
2: definitely <laughs> well, a bar I can't climb over, unfortunately. As you saw from my story earlier in this episode,
0: it's something we can work on. We'll give it some time. Make it. Uh, we'll make it happen. <laughs> Whatever you need.
1: But it was uh, both your stories were really amazing. I, I'm very impressed. I think they they were really great, but both very different. And you both have very different style of writing. And um, yeah. Very, very nice. I, I loved it. It was a great joy to, to listen wow. to you guys performing the stories.
2: Uh equally so for you as well. Yeah, it was it was lovely to hear, yeah, story. especially definitely. to know that it was inside uh the uh the expanded universe for your for your uh, published books and stuff. That's that's really exciting. But we've got some um got some questions for you if uh, if you're happy to be interviewed.
1: Hey of course, whatever whatever you want to know. I'm, I'm
2: okay. Okay. <laughs> uh shall i shall i start us off nick launch launch excellent (laughs) Uh, um this is always a good one for people that are active um active writers uh what are you reading at the moment
1: i am reading a book called dead heads um it's um written by a british author and he's also a friend of mine he's his name is ross young and i really can recommend this book it's it's very funny it's it's a very morbid story it's about um the afterlife uh, but the afterlife isn't like paradise and and angels singing it's it's the the, the place is called gloom wood and um yeah it's, it's gloomy there and it's really as, as, as your brits say it's rubbish everything is <laughs> <laughs> everything is rubbish there uh, so it's it's for me, it's a little bit. Um, I always describe it as if uh, Douglas Adams and Stephen King had a baby.
2: Ooh, that's a potent mix. <laughs>
0: Could also, so, pay to watch. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so it's really it's it's an enjoyable enjoyable book. I, I really I'm really having a lot of fun with it.
0: What would you say is the best book you've ever read?
1: So my my all-time favorite book is 1984 by George Orwell.
0: A strong choice.
1: I have read read this book multiple times, and it has been a great inspiration for my work and also for for Behind Blue Eyes, which has been called um, um, a worthy successor to 1984 uh, or 1984 on on steroids. So um, I, I really love this book, and I love the author. Um, yeah, but I love a lot of stuff. I mean, I <laughs> it's, a, it's a difficult question, isn't it? It's a difficult question. Yes, but this is this is currently my favorite book.
2: To expand on that a little bit, so what what about the book is? I know I know uh, Ace four is is a big, uh, you know, there's a lot of people reading it, in particular with 2020 under our belts. Um, but you know, what are the what what about that book draws you, draws you to it? Do you think?
1: Yeah, the story the story is, is is amazing and and the whole world he built and and to think uh, that was written in nineteen forty eight um makes it even better but it's also there's also a lot of emotion in it it's a very very good book and um I think everybody should read it uh, i was i was when i i've been many times also asked in interviews uh, who is a dead person you would like to meet and that would be George Orwell for me i think we are kindred spirits and we would have lot of fun together we would get drunk and decide that the world is all rubbish (laughs) and um, there's nothing we can do about it so let's get drunk and have a good time.
2: That sounds excellent that sounds um, (laughs) borderline Faustian isn't it where uh, because Faust meets meets some heroes from history and uh, has a bit of a piss up with them I think. Um,
1: Faust oh yeah that's also one of my favorite books.
2: uh, Right well we're talking about talking about books and literary characters and stuff uh do you have a uh, a favorite character from fiction from a book or from movie or in general I, well it, it could it, i mean if we started with books we could always expand it
1: favorite character in a book oh
2: it, it, however if something else leapt to your mind from movies or comic books or any other kind of media then that so just... one
1: one yeah one of my all-time favorite um i have two all-time favorite characters and they are both uh from animes and um because i'm a big anime fan and i'm also a big fan of of the whole um, japanese cyberpunk that's where i put myself a little bit uh, i'm more inspired by the japanese version of cyberpunk than um, the western version and for me so um, um, major motoko kusanagi from uh, ghost in the shell is mm-hmm. one of my all-time favorite characters and um, yeah, she's just she's just the best, the best. She's a badass, and and um, yeah, so that's her. And then there is another anime called Ergo Proxy, and um, the main character there is also um, one of my favorite characters. She's very different than Motoko. Wow,
2: how how would you dis- uh, sort of define the difference between Western and and uh, and Japanese uh, cyberpunk fiction? Do you think?
1: Um, so the there are constant discussions especially on the internet about what is cyberpunk and what should it have to be cyberpunk and there are so many people who say that this punk aspect is is so incredibly important and uh, many uh, mix it up with um, belief that it should be political by any means and so on Uh, and this comes from from the 80s books by um, uh, William Gibson and, and others um who who brought that in for the first time so this is basically yeah you can argue that this is where cyberpunk is coming from however the japanese version of it is um in my opinion a little bit more sophisticated it's not just about you know the evil corporations and the good rebels fighting them and so on um it is more about um the question of what is uh, what it means to be human and um where the the human stops and the machine starts and and where all all the the dark sides of technology will lead us i think it's more technology um focused than really uh, this this a social sociological aspect this is important too but 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 it's not such such a driving aspect in there so if you look at ghost in the shell or Akira or um, others um, apple seed and so on there is so, so much coming from there and it's um, it's just a little bit different than um, what we have over here and i was always fascinated by that i um when i first saw ghost in the shell many many years ago for me i was like really like a revelation and i always wanted to write my own ghost in the shell basically and that's where when um um behind blue eyes um comes into play it's basically if you put ghost in the shell and mix it with 1984 then yeah um you get that
0: it feels like we're we're edging close to the next question actually, and I think we may be able to answer it, but our next question is if you could adapt any book into a different medium so into a film, into an anime into a song, what book would it be, and which medium would you turn turn it into
1: Hm so you mean a book that isn't uh hasn't been adapted into anything so far. Or...
0: You can you can make a new version. How many runs have they had? <laughs> Wonderland, or...
1: Okay, um, let me think. Um, hmm.
0: You are allowed to say behind behind. Oh, okay, your eyes, uh, <laughs> that is allowed.
1: Well, um, I, I probably I, I probably wouldn't like the movie if they if they ever would make <laughs> one of it. So, so um. Let's say I would only do it for a lot of money. So um, it's not necessarily a dream for me to see yeah. this as, as a movie.
0: I hope you're listening in, <laughs> Funimation execs. No. Bring your checkbooks. So, yeah, what would be the passion
2: project of this, of this then? What would, uh, what would be a good... What's something you would actually want to do?
1: Um. So I'm a big gamer. I, I I'm a big uh, fan of video games, and I'm currently playing Cyberpunk twenty seven seven, shocker, big surprise, and um and yeah, I I, I design my worlds very much um like video game worlds. So I think it would definitely make a good video game. Um, like like all okay. my books would probably Shadow City even more than than Behind Blue Eyes and um yeah <laughs> but i mean it, it also could make a nice movie of course if done right but probably mm. it wouldn't because i mean let's be honest most most stuff coming out of hollywood lately isn't really great so um yeah they, they would they would screw it up <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah they, they haven't got the best track record of handling intellectual property have they
1: well, I mean for example, so uh, books I really love is uh by is Alfred Alfred Carbon. Um the books and oh, yeah. this this show and I, I happen to know the author personally and we talked about this, if if it would ever become a movie, how he would imagine it, and so on and so on. And I can only think that he was <laughs> not very happy about um, oh, dear. what what came out of it, right? So um
2: I, I have seen um, the. I think there's two seasons of Altered Carbon out at the moment, and I have seen them both. And I, whilst it, you know, it's very slick and it and it looks very good, and it's got mm-hmm. some amazing concepts, like really cool concepts, which I assume are lifted directly from the book. The the actual like storytelling is is a bit paceless. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah,
1: I think they did a lot wrong. Yeah. so um... I was surprised because they did a good job with the Witcher. I mean, that I don't know if you ever read the Witcher books, but they are really, really good. And and yeah. the, the show is, is is really good. I was uh, completely surprised. Uh, I I was sure they would screw it up and it would be horrible.
2: They they uh, told that's... it in a very authentic way, didn't they? Which which worked well. Yeah, it was really yeah.
1: good. And and, and and the the guy, I mean, Henry Cavill was a t- total surprise for me that he worked so well. I would never mm. have. Have thought that when I heard of, uh, that he has been cast.
2: Yeah, uh, Superman as. Uh, as
1: yeah. Witch, yeah. Oh my god.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> they, they were they were very good. Um, just on the 2077, seven um, seven. How are you finding it? Because I know that it had like a very difficult launch, and it wouldn't even play on last generation consoles, and people yeah, have been so, complaining so, about it a bit. <laughs>
1: So, so I'm playing it on on my ancient Xbox One. I, I, my Xbox One has been, I bought it the first year Xbox One came out. So it's really old. And I, I haven't had any issues. How really Interesting. Okay. Any, any issues. So in my opinion, and I, I talked to many people and most people were saying stuff like, "Oh well, I had uh, minor glitches. So I believe that this whole thing about how bad it is and how it is not working was mostly an internet mob. Um that for some reason has been unleashed on this game. I don't know why, but um, yeah. um I think it's a fantastic game. It's great. I mean it's just just awesome. I mean, you have you have this these awesome augmentations and you can have the mentis blades that are like, you know, like Mentis arms, but they are blades. And then you can go around and chop people into pieces. It's just so much <laughs>
2: <laughs> There is definitely something about you saying that in, in your excellent German accent that makes that <laughs> even better. Um, I think our, <laughs> yeah. I, I have been putting it off, but I think I will be. Uh, I'll be taking the plunge on the game soon.
1: It's great. It's awesome. I mean, I've been playing it for, for over 80 hours now and I'm still not done. And um, yeah, I don't have so much time to play. That's why it will take a while for me, but it's mm. it's a fantastic game. If you like cyberpunk and RPGs, it's just great. And there's there's Keanu Reeves in it, so. Well,
2: Keanu Reeves sells everything, <laughs> doesn't he? It's it's always a good factor. <laughs> uh, so back to the questions. When
1: did you last cry whilst reading? I can't remember. I don't cry so easily, so. Um, um, not a cryer. No, not really. I'm not. I'm not really very girly, so. Um, I can't remember honestly if, if a, when a book made me if a book ever made me cry. But I also don't read romances or stuff like that. You know, I, I don't. I just don't like that. Um, so. Um,
2: I know. Uh, I know. Nick and I both both do cry regularly at reading. Um, oh, that's so cute. Yeah, yeah, we uh, <laughs> we do. There's a, there's a few books where we've had to had a little chats afterwards to be okay. We have <laughs> Terry Bradshaw is the main Pratchett, one. Um,
1: oh, Terry Bradshaw made you cry? Okay.
2: Yeah. Well, it was it's sort of bound up in uh, the very sad situation where he he got a fairly serious uh, degenerative disease and and died young. Um, and, so what and... I
1: can't handle is when 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 animals die, especially dogs. Okay. So 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 have have a character and his beloved dog and then kill the dog and I, I will be all over the place. That's that's, that's I can't handle it. So, like for example, in, in uh, *I Am Legend*, that was that was one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I never read the book, but the movie killed me. When when the dog dies, that was too much for me to handle. So, um, um... Ah, so, so
2: movies will get you. Movies will get you, but not but not books. That's that's interesting.
1: Yeah, books never do. Strangely, yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah,
2: uh, well, I'm, I'm I'm in the same as we both cry books. We definitely both cry at movies. Oh.
0: So I think oh, yeah. I think I think we're just generally a bit wussy, really.
1: Oh, that's 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 very yeah. cute.
0: All right, it's time for my favorite question. Can you tell me one really uninteresting fact about yourself?
1: <laughs> uninteresting, like what is the most boring thing about oh, me? Oh yeah,
0: yeah. Just saying, really, uh, something that I would actively not <laughs> care about. That's what I want to hear. <sighs> oh
1: well, probably i'm I'm a couch potato i I like uh, sitting at home and reading and playing video games and watching movies and uh, writing and yeah, so my life is actually really boring. I sit at home most of the time and uh, either create stuff or consume stuff someone else has created. I'm not likely to go on a hike or something like that. That's horrible for me <laughs> so so.
0: See, so I, I, I'm not I'm not counting this one properly because creating stuff is legitimately interesting. Okay. <laughs> However, I'm going to dig deep in this. You said a couch potato. Now, is that just for the turn of phrase or are you particularly attached to sitting in one what we would call sofa?
1: Like said in the Big Bang Theory who has his favorite spot um i i like i like to lounge everywhere um i am not so particular in that but my favorite spot is on my patio um it's nice and warm here in south carolina and i like to sit in the sun or um in the evening when it's a nice warm night um i like sitting outside and um, so I I do a lot of work sitting outside, actually. I do all my social media stuff, which is a lot, because that's what you have to do when you're an author. Mm-hmm. So I spend at least um, three hours on social media every day. And uh, so that's mostly I do that sitting outside and uh, over my phone and drink iced coffee. Sounds pretty that's good
0: like, to me. That's,
1: yeah, it
2: sounds <laughs> lovely. It actually does uh, lead me into my favorite question of the of the interview which is um about your process so you mentioned that you do the more sort of social media side of being an author outside but do you actually do any of the actual typing outside on your patio or do you have a special oh, no. place or process to do that
1: no no i have i have my desk and i have i i, I need to work there i i need i needed i i can't really I, I totally admire people who can sit in in a cafe and and write i don't know how they do that really because I, I really need it quiet and I have my my view. I, I overlook a very nice uh little lake and wood. And so I, I sit at my desk and, and and um only tolerate my dogs around me uh when I'm writing. Um so um I need it really quiet and I need to really focus uh on it. And um if I focus I can write relatively uh quickly. I have my um everyday word count which i need to achieve and i usually achieve that unless i have a migraine or something like that but usually i will, I will what is, um,
2: what is your this. word count that you try and hit
1: uh, so the absolute minimum a day for me is a thousand words but i try to hit uh, 1500 to 2000 a day
2: exciting do you do that um every day of the week including the weekends or
1: yes every day Yes, I'm a workaholic. Right. No, <laughs> that's for, That's probably that's probably the second uh, boring thing about me. Right. I, I really really I think, really work a lot. <laughs> I think it's
2: commendable. Um and then in, in terms of your process of like uh, constructing a novel, does it all just sort of flow from your pen from the start to finish, do you write it chronologically or do you plan it out and go back and flesh out sections?
1: You mean if I'm uh, if I'm a plotter or a pantser?
0: Indeed. <laughs> that's what we mean.
1: i'm a plotter i uh, i come from from the movies i i learned screenwriting at film school that's my professional background um and if you if you try to write a screenplay you can't be a pantser that's just not possible you have to plot and so that's that's where i'm coming from and i always plot out everything but i'm not very i'm not super strict you know when i write and i have my plot i have my scenes when i know what is going to happen but if i have spontaneous ideas i will i will bring that in it's not that it's that it's uh, you know set in stone Mm. Um, but when i start writing a story i know how it will end i mean i have two series. one is a trilogy that's shadow city and i i knew when i started writing it how how the very last scene of the trilogy would be and behind blue eyes is set to Become hopefully, if people like it, a really long series. But the first three books, I had uh, completely in my mind when I started writing the very first scene and the 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 showdown of of the of book three, which now will be book four because I uh, decided to uh, to split it a bit uh, a bit because otherwise the books would have become too long. So it would be book four, the ending of it that was everything is leading to this point. The, everything that happens over uh, probably a thousand pages um, leads to this final point. Oh,
2: that is impressive to to think that far ahead. I'm I'm definitely a pantser. I think, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and I can, I can, how I absolutely?
0: <laughs> yeah, that is, that's our whole shtick over here at the tiny bookcase. Yeah, it's it's, <laughs> it's pantsing <and> galore. <laughs>
1: Well I think you know you know if, if you if you mostly write short stories then pantsing is, is um totally okay. I think if, if you mm. if you want to write something long like like for you, you know, fantasy when when you say okay, this is supposed to be a series, it probably will be easier for you if you mm. plot out at least, you know, uh a uh, basic um basic plot uh, the main plot and the two or three uh, most important side plots so you know where you're going because this will make your life so much easier i always see especially on twitter when people are discussing uh oh i have a writer's block what should i do and i always say don't be a panzer because when you're panzer mm. you will end up with a writer's block eventually uh, you will end up at a point where you're not sure where to go from there and um you will get stuck if you're a plotter. I had never in my i my writing career has been over twenty years, and I never had even one writer's block. Whew.
2: Well, that that is <laughs> I think that is very good advice. I think and and I can probably agree with it. I think from from my my own minimal experience, like I, I hit around uh, sixty thousand words and. Um, and I really had to take almost a week to sort of figure out where I needed to go next. And, you know, I, I sort of had to become a a plotter after most of the book was sort of written or a big chunk of the book was already written. Um, so, yeah, yeah it would make your I, life I easier that. if you plot, yeah.
1: really. It would be a much easier life.
2: Live, live an easier life. Yes. Like. <laughs> But so. I think
1: both both of you guys are really, really talented writers. I am really impressed by your short stories. I think they're great. I hope you will continue your writing career.
0: Oh, that's very we, kind. We'll do our best. Yeah. Now, speaking <laughs> of writing careers and plotting and planning ahead, have you got anything coming out soon?
1: Yes, I do. So I am extremely excited about two things. One is, as I mentioned before, uh, the audiobook version of behind blue eyes and I am very very fortunate that i uh found a fantastic narrator I, I did a big casting for it and then he basically found me uh over twitter and and then um yeah I decided to go with him and he's just amazing and i i love what he's doing and the audiobook will be fantastic so I'm very excited about that that's uh set to be uh out in um April hopefully if if uh, Audible plays along as, as we would like it and the other one is my second book in my um, Behind Blue Eyes series and uh, the release date is March 24th and I am very excited about this book because this was for me the most difficult book to write ever uh, and I have written a lot in, in my career. This was very very hard for a um, reason which is sound maybe sounds a bit stupid, but Beyond Blue Eyes has um been accepted by readers much much more enthusiastically than I ever would have hoped for. I mean you always hope people love what you write, but I've been in this game long enough to know that it's um, it's not so easy to to make every reader happy. And it turned out with this book that I, I made a lot of people very, very happy. And then you have it, and and you know all those people expect from you to um, create even something better in the next book, or at least hold the quality. Yeah. And so that that was probably almost like a writer's block I, I had, but not because I didn't know what to write, but I, because I was horrified uh, that I might uh, be not as good as I want to be. But um, so far, so the beta readers were excited about it. So I hope that. The readers were like it too, and I am uh, super, super excited about the release in in March.
0: I'd say it's a pretty cool fear to have: worrying that you you won't be as awesome as you were the last time you did something. I think, <laughs> I think, well done.
1: <laughs> well, I'm not saying <laughs> I'm not saying I'm awesome, but
0: uh, <laughs> ah, right, you're not. People really your fans are so.
1: People that's really, what matters. people really like it, you know. So I mean, if if you look at the reviews, there are a lot of. Uh, I am used to it that you always get bad reviews, you know. It won't take long and you will get people who say, eh, Um, but it didn't happen to me with this book until now and I'm closing into a hundred reviews. So um, people really like it. That's That's
2: very exciting. Um, And so um, you mentioned earlier that you're very active on social media and that's a big part of being an author in in Mm -hmm. this book. Where's the best place for people to find you on social media?
1: So I think if someone is interested in so so just sort of a little bit self-promotion. So <laughs> my book series is called Behind Blue Eyes, like the song everybody knows. But it has uh well, it has a science fiction, a cyberpunk story. Um if you type in behind blue eyes into Amazon.com, it will be the first thing that appears in uh, uh Amazon UK. It, you will have to scroll down a little bit. Uh but it's really easy to find if you if you look for the title. And, um, if, if you want to get in touch with me and, and, and really keep up with what I'm doing and uh, interested in what I'm doing, I would suggest to sign up to my newsletter. Uh, you can do that on my website. And uh, that's, uh, So my first name, my last name um, dot com and there you can sign up to my newsletter and that's the best way to, to to communicate with me because if you if you answer uh an email I write I will definitely write you back and um otherwise I am I am I have uh twelve thousand followers on Twitter and uh, I am happy about everyone who wants to join my followers there and I am really active in communicating with my readers there so Twitter is definitely a very good place. I'm also on Facebook and I'm on Instagram. Um, if you if you look for my name, you will find me because I'm the only person with this name. Um, so you can find me very easily, and I I, I enjoy nothing more than to um, to communicate with my readers. Actually, so feedback is very much appreciated. That's
2: excellent. And, uh, it's probably also worth noting that um, you, you've done. Um some excellent trailers for your books as well or i had oh done. thank you um, and they're they're all visible on your website and your twitter as well and
1: uh I've them yeah oh the yeah i also code. have a youtube <laughs> i also have a youtube channel yes and uh, i not only make those trailers for myself i make them for other indie authors so if if, uh, if you ever should uh, be in need of a trailer for for your book when, uh, oh, when I it's ready yeah. to launch uh we can talk about that um excellent. I have made over 35 um, trailers for indie authors until now. And, um, yeah, I'm having a lot of fun with that. And, uh, of course, most fun I have to, to make my own trailers for Behind Blue Eyes. But uh, I also really enjoy uh, diving into the stories of other people and trying mm-hmm. to um, vis- visualize them.
2: Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Um, Thank and you week. so much yeah hearing your story and hearing your feedback and and also hearing your answers to the questions as well it's been really illuminating so thank you very much anna
1: thank you so much for inviting me it was i had a blast you guys are awesome and uh i really hope to see and hear much more from both of you
0: well that's very kind i can't wait to see you on the road and to see the new book
1: <laughs> thank you
0: Thank you all for joining us on this episode of The Tiny Bookcase. Make sure you're
2: subscribed to the podcast on your chosen service so that you don't miss out on future episodes.
0: You can follow us on Twitter, at BookcaseTiny, where you can talk to us directly and even suggest prompts for upcoming stories.
2: If you're not a tweeter, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram as well. Just search for The Tiny Bookcase.
0: Now, if you want to support the podcast...
2: And we'd really appreciate it if you did
0: you can do so at patreon.com forward slash thetinybookcase. And then you can be just as special as these story seekers. Do we thank them? I think so. Well, then it's a huge thank you to the legendary Matthew McLaren and the absolutely epic Scott Byrne for their support. Thank you for listening. Catch you next Next week. Catch you (laughs) next (laughs) week. Make it slimy.
2: Make it slimy, Nick.